трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. I really must change that introduction sometimes because uh, participants generally get on my back for saying the exact same words in the start, which uh, maybe I'll do next time, but it's too late now. But anyway, uh, the Russian Football News Podcast is back. We've got some uh, great topics lined up for you this week. And uh, joining me on this podcast, we've got the editor-in-chief. That's Toka Thilade. I think it's been a while since you've been on Toka, or maybe my mind is slipping away. Yeah, Thomas, it's uh, it's true, but I've been missing you, so I'm glad to be back. And you've been uh, listening to the latest podcasts, I take it, and obviously overseeing the website? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, lovely stuff. And we have our, our resident, I want to say Rubin Man, but that's kind of, that's that's actually puts a bit of a downer on him, I think, because he's actually what I would call, I'd say, an expert in uh, in quite a lot of the other teams in the Premier League, if not all of them, and probably below as well, given his depth of knowledge. And uh, that is our man, David Sanson. How are you? Hello, I'm very well. Thank you for the uh, flattery. It's all right. We uh, we try our best. Um, anyway, so let's get this first topic underway, um, and that is the two Italians in the Russian Premier League are um, the managers are set to leave, and that is uh, Roberto Mancini at Zenit, and that is Massimo Carrera at Spartak Moscow. Um, Toka, let's start with you, and let's focus on Mancini first, because I think this is arguably sort of the bigger one, if you like, given the lack of success he's had as Carrera won the title last season. Mancini came in, big reputation. Zenit spent a lot of money last year trying to get back into those, uh, well, trying to win the title and get back into those Champions League spots as a backup, and it really hasn't worked out for him. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit funny to see Mancini linked to the Italian national team job. I mean, he. I don't think if he leaves, which I'm, I'm pretty sure he will, I don't think he'll be remembered for anything good in Russia, but still he'll move to a massive job after this. That's that's quite the accomplishment. Uh, I think overall Mancini has been, he's been, he's been a massive failure in Russia. I don't think there's any any need to deny that. Senate have had a poor season and now right now they're in danger of not even qualifying for the Champions League. Uh, of course, that could change if they defeat Lokomotiv later today. We don't know the result of that game yet. Um, but nevertheless, as you said, they spend a lot of money. They spend basically all the remaining money from the sales of Hulk and Axel Witzel. So he's not only leaving Senate maybe outside the Champions League, he's also leaving Senate without a lot of money and in a very difficult situation because the next manager, is, he won't be able to go out and spend a lot of money uh, unless they go out and, and sell some players first. So Senate are in for an, an interesting summer and... Yeah, the the next head coach, if if Mancini leaves, of course, uh, that that will be a difficult task. And David, I mean, like Toka says, he's linked with the Italian national team. From a Zenit perspective, this is a fantastic deal for them because they were probably going to sack him anyway, and now they get compensation fee for him instead of having to pay out. They get money in. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's pretty pretty much been in the works that he would go almost since the return of the uh, the season in in March um, and obviously his, there was you know there's lots of rumors about his severance package being you know tens of millions um, but the fact that the Italian national team are coming in probably getting a cut price deal knowing that they want to get rid but still they're going to get something for him um, you know it's a blessing in disguise really um, I mean it's, it's almost confirmed as far as I'm aware the, I think there was uh, one of the Italian members of the FA said that the talks were ongoing and uh, and so that will be done soon I imagine 
and yeah, yeah, it's a perfect situation because he's done nothing for Zenit other than put them in some peril. Uh, you know, the whole point of their big transfer spending last season was that the players were that they bought in were investments to then sell on for money, and only maybe one of those has done enough that they could probably make a decent profit on, and that's Paredes. The rest of them, I couldn't see big money coming for them. They might just about break even on, on players like Drew C and uh, Rigoni, but they've not done enough to warrant you know, making a big profit like they'd imagined. And uh, so basically the whole project, a bit like Ruben with Javi Garcia um, last season, the whole project sort of failed after just one year uh, and the, the money spent is going to probably leave them in turmoil for another couple of years after this. Yeah, because Toko Evon, I mean, this money factor you mentioned first and then David sort of came on there is actually really important here because unlike, let's let's compare with Man City for, for argument's sake, no matter where they finish in the league, they'll always have the backup money to sort of pump in and, I mean, FFP, Man City will probably break it at some point, but Zeni, if they do spend just because of the lack of income, they are definitely going to break it. So this, like David says, could leave them in turmoil for at least a season, I would say. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, they spent so much money last season, basically went all in on uh, regaining the throne of Russia, but but they failed. I mean, and now the, the, all the money they got from the from the big sales in the past, they're gone now. So they will have to go out and, and sell some. Of course, they have a lot of players away on loan right now. Uh, I think it's 10 or 11 players, all pretty good players. So they could go out and sell some of them. I read the other day that I think the market value of all the players away on loan is just below 40 million euros. So if they get that, then of course they will have some money to spend. But I think it's most likely that the next head coach will have to to basically settle for what the what's in the squad right now. Uh, maybe a few cheap players, and then the players coming back from loan. It's it's a very difficult situation because. Senate and, and all Russian, all the big Russian teams, they are very dependent on the Champions League money. And if they miss that for another year, then it, it'll be very difficult. Uh, because we all know, I mean, Gazprom and Senate, they have tons of money, but because of the financial fair play regulations, they're, they're not allowed to use them. They have to act responsible and, and not spend any more money than they earn. And right now, they simply don't earn very much, even though they have a new stadium and and stuff like that, but it, it's 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 just not enough for the financial levels in the down with the salaries and and the and the transfer prices of the players they want and the players they need. David, with the Mancini thing, and we've seen this with previous managers, actually, particularly as any, I'm looking at the likes of uh, Vyash Boas particularly. Are we now seeing a situation where Russia is seen as sort of? It's uh, <laughs> sort of a graveyard for foreign managers where they turn up because they think, oh, I can't get a job in a big European league. I'll just get get the check for a year and then think, oh, maybe Europe will have forgotten about my failures and I'll go back and get another job in, in Western Europe. We're in danger of that situation. To be honest, it's probably already happening. I think a lot of foreign managers take it. I think it will be a lot easier than it is. Um, I mean... The list of foreign managers who have come to Russia, even over the last, you know, 15 years, going back to, you know, the old Dutch managers, Unai Emery, who was at Spartak once upon a time. Uh, the number of foreign managers who come to Russia and fail and are gone within one or two years um, is countless. Um, so I think it's not a new thing that, you know, Western European managers come over here. Um, 
you know, the money back then was potentially a lot greater, but um, it's still a draw for them. A new a new test, maybe when they've got no other people interested, think, oh, I can just go make some money for a year, get an easy title, boost my reputation, off I go. Um, obviously, in Mancini's case, he's done nothing, but on reputation alone, he's going to walk into another job, um, you know, which is fine. Um, even Harry Gracia, you know, he, he came, over, came over with a decent rep failed and then has walked into a Watford job in the Premier League so that's your last two failures who have gone on to walk into a pretty decent job within the next year um, it, it it's an interesting one because not many Russian clubs will look to hire foreign managers I, I don't th- see anything but Zenit doing another foreign manager next season so it'll be interesting to see who they go for um, I think they've got a big name complex so I think I think they'll have to get another big name in um it's just what they do now you know they have to match the, their you know their social presence their presence around europe is you know one of the most clicked clubs on the web on the on the internet and stuff like that so i think i think they'll go for another big name but it's another risk because the track record isn't good basically that's when you know the game's gone, by the way, when a club is actually seriously thinking about having the mo- and like sort of boasting about having the most one of the most click clubs on the Internet. Jesus. Anyway, sorry for that blasphemy just then, by the way. But um, Toka, David talks about getting the foreign manager and I totally agree with him. They do have this sort of big name syndrome and that is obviously to try and boost their reputation. And I remember, I think it was last week on Dutch TV, Louis van Gaal said, oh, I've got a big offer and I can't uh, mention it. And my mind just suddenly thought, oh, Zenny, there you go. He's probably going there. But on the other hand, I can see where Dave's coming from in the fact that um, they are they probably will get a big name in. But I'm also thinking from the big names perspective, we've talked about the financial situation. Why on earth would they want to go to a club and not have the money to spend if they're looking to for as you know as we say like an easy title in inverted commas. Well, I think for Senate having having a big um, a big foreign manager, <clears throat> I think it's a part of, of the club's identity. Really, I mean, you always talk about how Saint Petersburg is is very oriented towards Europe, uh, so it fits well together with the with the history of the club. And you can also when when you look back, for example. Uh, Dick Advocat and in, in the past, I mean, they have some had some really good foreign managers, but it's it's definitely true that I, th- I think maybe they are focusing too much on getting a big name rather than getting a, <clears throat> a manager who can actually develop the club and who wants the club because Mancini seemed like a strange choice from the beginning. He was he was definitely a manager who who was losing reputation and a coach who. Whose career was definitely he was definitely going in the in the wrong direction. I mean, first he failed at at Fenerbahce and he had his bad stints in Italy, and then it seemed that Senat was was the only club left who wanted him. Really, um, that is, it's just disappointing. I mean, I really hope when 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 the next man, yeah, I don't I don't mind if they go for a foreigner. I think it, it's probably a pretty good idea. Actually, they have an international squad. I think it's important that they don't get sort of too Russian. Uh, when, when they have so many foreigners and they want to reach the European top and they know that they have to do this with a lot of foreigners, it is definitely an advantage of having someone international-minded. But I hope they go for a manager who can perhaps be a, a, around for the long run, someone who has some ideas, maybe maybe a manager, a coach who's, 
who is slightly younger than, than the last couple of, of coaches in, uh, in Luchesco and Mancini, who both, as you said, seem to, to go to Senate maybe for the lack of other options and maybe for, for the big payday. Um, otherwise, I mean, I think everybody around Senate, or at least the fans are hoping for someone like Sergei Simak, but it's probably a bit too early for him. And, and apart from him, I don't see any other Russian coaches that could really do the job. So it... It will be difficult for them to find a manager. It will be difficult for them to find someone who fits the profile, especially after you're seeing guys like Luchesco and Bills Boas and, and now Mancini eventually fail and being being sacked at the club. I mean, the the job is quickly losing its attractiveness for, for, for skilled coaches, especially now when they're not, or maybe when they're not in the Champions League. So... I feel they'll have to pay a lot more to get the guy that they want because it's it's just not that interesting anymore, the job, at least not uh, right now. Yeah, David, I mean, Toke talks about the young manager there and that's what got my cogs whirring. I mean, Toke, if I can quickly come to you very quickly before I come to David, when you talk about the young manager in Europe, what sort of league are you looking at? Like, where would you where do you think they should pluck one from? Like, what where are you sort of looking? Are you looking at a major league or sort of one of the more minor leagues? Honestly, it... it it doesn't matter too much for me. Of course, we'll, we'll need a manager, a coach who who has tried to play under pressure, who is used to to the pressure and the attention of, of being in control of a big club or a club like uh, like Senate. But I think the most important thing really is is that we get someone uh, with some visions. I, I feel both Luchesco and Mancini lacked visions. I feel both of them came and to me it seemed that, as you said, they just thought, okay, this is going to be easy. We'll just do exactly what we did earlier by a lot of Brazilians or play in a certain way and both of them failed uh, massively. So I'd, I'd really like someone who, who would come up with some new visions, someone who sort of tried to, to bring some ambitions to the table, try to sort of change some things in, in Senate because for me it seems that this club has been it, it, it has been standing still for the last many seasons. It hasn't been moving at all. If, if anything, it has moved backwards. So someone who tries to maybe dare to think outside the box and come out with some new ideas, because I, I really think Sims need that. Uh, they can't just go about doing business as usual because it, it's definitely not working at the moment. Because, David, the reason I asked Toker about the, um, the big league, small league question was I'm thinking, if you're, if you're mid-table in Germany, for example, and you're doing quite well, you get an offer from Zenit. If I, and we've and Toker's mentioned it there, exactly, the lack of appeal at the job, really. And what is the appeal for someone, say, in mid-table Bundesliga? Why would you go to Zenit and sort of be forgotten about almost? Because we've talked about the finance you can't spend. But then why not just sit around for a bit in, in, say, Bundesliga? I'm just using that for argument's sake. Sit around for a bit and wait for a bigger Western European job to come along. That would be my... I mean, I'm not a football manager, so obviously I don't know the psyche, but that's sort of an approach I would possibly take. Depends how much they like taking risks or, you know, the incentives that are on the table. You know, I'm sure even though Zenit may not get in the uh, Champions League, they'll still be able to pay up, pay some pretty good wages. Um, and no money talks. So, you know, even if they can't spend anything, there's, there's still a decent base of a squad there. Um, and if they're paying them well, then that's, I think, a big enough draw for any manager to want to go out there and potentially try their luck. Obviously, Russia is not everyone's cup of tea, and there's a lot of preconceptions about it. Um, 
but you know we've had plenty of big names take their chances in the past um, I don't see why they can't again uh, the interesting thing was obviously even at this season um, obviously they didn't qualify for the Champions League this season and yet they were still able to get Mancini in and spend what like 70 or 80 million euros um, and that was without getting in the Champions League so if they could if they could do that this season um, I'd be interested to see what they're going to be able to do next season if they again don't qualify for the Champions League because obviously, I think they were probably banking on uh, qualifying for it this season, and therefore their financial expenses would have sort of justified themselves. But I think they're going to have to basically, if they don't, sell up a lot. But they then may be able to reinvest once they've sort of broken even a bit. Um, I think they'll be able to make a little bit of profit. Um, certainly on Pirelli's, they'll probably make, probably even double the money they spent. Um so they may be able to do some reinvestment next year. Um, it depends. Obviously, we don't know exactly how they were able to just uh, shell out 80 million plus Mancini last season. Um, so they may be able to do it again this year. This year, I mean, anything can happen in Russian football. Um, there's a lot of things behind closed doors, which I'm sure would not happen in any other country. <laughs> um, I think I think there's always a draw, and I think it's I think it's largely going to be money talks. And let's move on to the other Italian manager now, Toko, with Carrera. This is an interesting situation, arguably more interesting than Mancini, even though we just spent 20 minutes talking about Mancini, but whatever. In that he won the title last season, it was almost a bit of a god because it was their title in God knows how long. And now they're, they're second in the league. I mean, as it stands, we, we haven't played the, this weekend's matches yet, obviously, but they're four points behind in the title race, completely out of their hands, of course, that means, with two games to go. So this situation kind of interesting and be interesting to see where both Spartak and Carrera go from here if, if of course he does leave which which looks likely to be the case yeah there are some strong rumors of him perhaps going back to Juventus where he was the assistant coach earlier so that would be that would be an impressive step up and I think of course it would, it would be terrible for Spartak to lose Carrera because he has had a, a massive influence on the club but I think it would Maybe send a signal also to to Senate and their head coach that okay, going to Russia. I mean, if, it it can open some doors as well if if you do a good job. Of course, Carrera. It's not only because he won the. I mean, he's not only linked to Juventus because he won the league in, in with with the Russian club. It's probably not not that important, but more because of his previous accomplishments uh, for the club. But still, it uh, it definitely shows that going to Russia doesn't close any doors for you if you do a good job. Um, and and I think it's it's fully deserved if if he gets if he gets a new bigger job than Spartak. I mean, I think he's been a really a really good coach for them. He he did a, a great job last season. He has done not quite good not quite as good a job this season, but still he has guided Spartak through a a, a good season. Um, and they're about to finish in the Champions League for the second year in a row, which is um, which is quite impressive for them. I mean. It's it's been a while since they had two Champions League seasons in a row, so that's that's definitely good. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Spartak when he leaves, because apart from him, I mean, he seems to be the main facilitator of all their success recently. And if he departs the club, it's very likely that Quincy Promise will leave the club this summer as well. Suddenly, Spartak will stand without two of their big their big star on the sideline, their big star on the pitch, and it'll be interesting to see if. 
if they fall back into their old habits of being a madhouse or if they can keep the momentum and actually remain a part of 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 the of the fight for the championship in the future i mean right, to be honest i feel that the bond i fear it's still all the wrong people they have it's all the same people with from club owner fidon to down the line that were in charge before they're still there i mean spartak haven't changed anything really apart from from Carrera on the sidelines so it's a, it'll be an interesting season for them because our, I feel they could very easily fall back into all the bad habits and and then we'll we'll see the madhouse that that they have that they have been in the, in the past decade. So that should be interesting to follow. Do you share those same fears, David? In that if Carrera goes everything a bit like when you have Jenga and you pull the wrong one out and everything just absolutely collapses. We talk about Carrera, but also Toka mentions promise possibly going in the summer. I mean, just a couple of things you a do you share toka's fears and we've talked about and i'll come to you as well on this toka we've talked about zenit needing that international manager do you think that spartak perhaps need the same to keep away from that sort of madhouse reputation it's, it's an interesting one the career situation because obviously before christmas he you know spartak was struggling they were i don't know i can't remember which position they were there was talk that Carrera would be sacked rather than, you know, him being poached by someone else. Obviously, he's guided them through quite a tough spell and, um, you know, got them up to second place. And now it's, you know, he's not getting sacked, even though there's, I've heard that he's still um, not favoured by um, Fedin. He, Fedin apparently still doesn't like him and would want to get rid of him, regardless of the fact that Juventus want, potentially want to take him anyway. Um I don't see Spartak as a club that necessarily needs a foreign manager um, as much. I mean, Promise, I think, is going to go regardless this summer. It, it's, you know, I thought I said that last summer in fairness, but, um, you know, after they won the league, I think he wanted to sort of see out see out his journey in Moscow. Now he's had that season in the Champions League, he'll definitely be gone, I think. Um, and obviously you had players like Zeluish, the Premier League club, uh, uh, Fernando's been linked with foreign clubs even Zobnin's been linked with foreign clubs so I think there's a chance that um, they will lose a few of their key players this summer so whoever comes in to replace Carrera will have a difficult job especially if they're going to stay in the Champions League for another season um, obviously they should get very good money for Promise and if they sell Fernando they'll get good money for him as well so they'll be able to rebuild well but whether they're going to get a calibre a player like Promise, who obviously came in relatively unknown um, in the larger circles, but ended up, you know, being one of the best players in the country. Um, yeah, it's another question completely. So it's 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 going to be very interesting next season um, for Spartak. Um, I, I couldn't predict who they'll go for uh, as their new coach because, you know, Carrera was a complete unknown when he was appointed. Um, so who's to say they won't just go and do that again? So would you go with the, the Madhouse argument then in that they, next season could potentially, be, I don't want to say disaster because that, make, that makes it sound really dramatic, but you, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, this, I mean, there's certainly been some instability. I mean, you've had, um, um, I think his name is Plipchuk. I think he's the um, assistant coach or maybe the, was it head reserve coach or something that he's um, he's leaving the club 
um, and there's potentially been arguments between um, him, Glushikov and Kumbarov, and the last two players, Glushikov and Kumbarov, have then therefore been linked with moves away in the summer. So it seems like there's some instability in there that's not quite fully known about yet, but it seems like there's something going on behind closed doors. And so I think the potential madhouse has already started. Um, it'll be very interesting, obviously, Glushkov being you know, um, captain and Komarov having, well, they're both Spartak through and through. So to see them leave would be very, um, very interesting indeed and which certainly point towards a larger problem. Um, I think the, the talk was that they wouldn't be travelling to their away game um, this weekend. Um, see, so yes, definitely a potential madhouse situation there. Seeds that the club are being sown for the madhouse to grow back, I think. But um, let's move on now to the, the Russian Cup, which is uh, taking place. The final is taking place on Wednesday, which I think I mentioned on the previous podcast. Obviously, classic Russian football decision to put the Cup final on Wednesday, which is madness. Anyway, it's uh, between Avangard Kursk in the FNL and FK Tosna in the Premier League, who are uh, on the verge of relegation. So, Toka. <laughs> it's been a bit stupid and actually there's more interesting topics to uh, talk about this cup final which we'll get onto in terms of European places but just a quick thing about the final itself I mean we're obviously expecting Tosna to come out on top here yeah of course I mean Tosna are the big favourite but it, 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 it's a crazy situation because can they even afford to focus on this cup game I, I assume they will but they have some crucial games coming up uh, first this weekend, of course, a uh, home game against Dynamo Moscow, and then they travel to to Ufa for the last game of the season, just a few days after the cup final. I mean, they need points on the table to stay up. They are currently below the relegation line, so having a cup final, I mean, of course, it's uh, it's a fantastic opportunity for them, but it's um, it's also it must be a bit distracting for the players. I mean, Tosno have been awful lately. Uh, apart from apart from the the Moscow uh, apart from the Spartak victory in the semi final, I don't remember the last time they won a game. So uh, I don't think it's it's that certain compared to what you would actually expect. Um, so it it should be an interesting game. But um, I trust no favorites, but uh, I, I'm not sure actually they, that they'll get it. I I can see them focusing a bit more on the league and then. Maybe have will have Avangard taking a, a surprise victory. They they definitely have a little more freedom to play since they are neither fighting for to avoid relegation or promotion in in the FNL, so they can go all in on the cup final. And David, a few words from you on the game itself. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've had our fair share of surprises throughout the tournament so far. I mean, Tosno knocking out Spartak um, in the semi final. Granted, very late. I think it was what 89th minute equaliser, and then a penalty shootout, in which also Glushikov missed a sitter in extra in the last minute of extra time, which would have put Spartak through. Um, so we've seen our fair share of surprises. Tosno obviously fought to the end and got there. Um, the other half of the draw, most of the big teams were out earlier, to the point that um, the other semi-final was a, an all FNL tie. Uh, so it was always going to be a Fennel side who made the final. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the game's in Volgograd. It's being played on Victory Day. Um, so it's going to be, it should be a very good atmosphere. Um, I think it's going to, they've, they're 
um, all the tickets are free, I believe, for the game. So expecting, you know, potentially a 40,000 ground, uh, 40,000 sellout. Um, and I think that'll, that'll add some some spice to the game, hopefully um, make it a bit more interesting than it sounds on paper. Um, usually, you know, these, these are the kind of games which you might look at and think, oh, that's boring. But then it will end up being, you know, 4-3 and, you know, one of the best games of the season. So I think it's, there's definitely some potential to have a good game. Um, as for who's going to win it, Tosno have not looked the same since they sold um, Markov and uh, Zawotny in January. Uh, their only good point was that they had Pavel Pogorniak, uh, who came in and suddenly actually started scoring a few goals. Uh, but then he ended himself, I believe it was in the semi-final, uh, and he's out for about seven or eight months. So their only bright spark um, from the second half of the season, they're now without. And that's going to leave them, you know, very perilous. I can't see them getting wins, certainly not against Ufer away. Um, Dino at home, even that, I think, is going to be a stretch. Dino have been on good form recently. So I think they're pretty much condemned. I would say they're condemned to relegation at this stage. Um, you know, they're below Angie on um, head-to-head record. Um, but they have the same amount of points. So all they have to do is potentially just get a point and hope that Angie don't win at all, which is, you know, distinctly possible. Uh, but I can't see Tosno getting a win out of their last two games or even a point. So I think the chances are um, we can see uh, a Feniel side playing in the Europa League in inverted commas uh, next season. So let's talk about that European aspect now, because that's what we sort of wanted to come on now. Um, Sergei Priadkin Toka has come in and sort of, I don't want to say threatened, but has basically said it's possible that neither of these two teams could qualify for Europe next season, which is obviously usually the case with the um, the Russian Cup getting into the into the Europa League. Of course, the winner automatically qualifies. Um, so this is certainly interesting, and therefore it would go to sixth place. But as we were saying pre-podcast, I'm going to steal both your thunder here, but um, we were saying that it's not like in previous years where you've got a really big team in sixth. The fight for sixth at the moment, Ufa are currently occupying Arsenal. Are pro- are, well, they're on the same points there in seventh, but just, just below. And then we've got Ural possibly if they have a bit of a surge in on 37 points. So, I mean, this is really interesting, actually, how this will be handled when, when this cup final finishes. Yeah, absolutely. Because as you said, in uh, in 2014, we had the same situation when the FC Rostock won the league, and there were a lot of talks about them not being being eligible for for Europa League uh, football because they simply didn't meet UEFA's demands. Uh, but back then, if I remember correctly, it was Spartak who was sixth in the league, and of course, Spartak is is a massive club, and they have the they have the power to put a bit of pressure on the football union to try to steal that Europa League place away. Uh, back then, it, they didn't succeed. Rostov went to the Europa League, and I think they were eliminated by Trabzonspor in the qualification rounds. But yeah, that's not that important. But this year, I mean, Ufer, Arsenal, Tula, Ural, neither of those clubs have any kind of power, and they can't put any pressure on the uh, on the on the Russian football union to get uh, Europa League spot from the cup winners. So it, it, it's a bit interesting, uh, this situation, because it it comes a bit out of the blue. Of course, it says a lot about the standards of the Russian clubs and the, especially in the FNL, 
that the clubs don't even meet the UEFA demands. I mean, we have clubs from Romania and Moldova meeting these demands and going into the European competition. So the fact that smaller clubs from Russia can't do that, that's a bit worrying, a bit depressing, I think. Uh, but again, I think long-time listeners of this podcast will not really be that surprised. Uh, we have described all the problems of Russian football pretty well in the past, I think. So, uh, yeah, most of the listeners will, will know about the sad state of, of especially these smaller clubs, the clubs outside of uh, the big cities and, and the big teams. And David, you mentioned uh, before we came on about UFA and applying for their UEFA license. So do you want to just give the, the listeners the background on that? Yeah, so, well, to go further on the background, I think, um, so the stories at the moment are that Tosno um, are in some potential financial peril. Apparently they owe a lot of wages to former players and they may not have complete financial stability. So that's an important factor, obviously, when it comes to qualifying for financial fair play and meeting the UEFA standards. Obviously, we saw Dinamo Moscow um, miss out on Europe a few years ago because they missed out on uh, financial fair play. Um, Avangard Kursk, on the other hand, their um, you know, general director has come out and said, you know, we're in a good position financially. Um, you know, we're we're not in debt. So they, they seem to think that they, they would be okay in terms of finances, but their stadium potentially not so uh, suitable. I don't don't know much about a stadium, I must admit. Um, but based on NFL, uh, FNAL standards, uh, I can't imagine it's going to be very good. Uh, and then the story then, I think yesterday or the day before, was that Tosno apparently missed the deadline to apply for their UEFA licence, which was March the 3rd, uh, which would mean that even if they won the cup, um, they wouldn't be able to play in Europe because they didn't apply for a licence. But UFA, who were in the race for sixth place, and at, you know when the season restarted back in March, um, Spartak was still in the cup. Most people thought they were going to win it, in which case sixth place would have automatically gone to uh, Europe. So they were obviously banking on that and expecting themselves to have a good chance against it. Place and apparently did apply for the Europa League uh, license. So if none of the two clubs can make it, I think um, I think the worry from the RFU's point of view is that you know not having a FNAL side in Europe to damage the coefficients and at least getting a stable club like Ufa or Arsenal Tula who who are both financially stable. Um, you know, Austin and Tula pack out their stadium most weeks. Um, they're in a good location, obviously just outside Moscow. Ufa are a young side who are growing and are financially um, adept. Um, there's been no reports of either club being in debt at all over the last few years. And they're both progressing quite well. So I think it's just a point of the RFU want a club who have got a chance in Europe rather than, you know, a tiny club from the Fenio who are just going to, get in there, get some prize money and drop out at the first chance they, they get, essentially. Um, and, you know, I can I can see the logic behind that, if that is their reasoning. Um, personally, obviously, I would like to see one of the four Arsenal in the in the Europa League ahead of Tosno or, or um, Avangard because they're more enjoyable to watch and that they, they have got better prospects. To be honest, I'll come to you, Toka, now. But to be honest, Dave, I have to totally disagree with you because I think from a... Mo- I mean, I can see where you're coming from and I, I may- maybe I've totally misread you here, so apologies if I have. But um, I would say 
Tosso or Kursk should be the ones to go through. It doesn't matter about the financial situation because they have deserved to be in there from winning the UEFA Cup. The, not UEFA Cup, my God, can you oh, imagine? Yeah. <laughs> no, go on. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, they if they win the Cup, they fully deserve it. But there's nothing we can do if they haven't met the requirements. You know, we've seen plenty of clubs drop out in the past for the same reasons. Uh, there's nothing we can do for that. And we have to look at what the next best thing is. And, you know, while they do deserve to, you know, qualify for the Europa League, they're not going to do, they probably, well, okay, can't say I'm sure, but they are almost certainly not going to do as well as, you know, Arsenal, Uthor, Ural would do in Europe. Um, and then they're going to do harm to the European coefficients, which have been improving a lot for Russia over the last few years. Um, so I'm, I'm just looking at it as a double-edged sword sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Toka. So we talked about the. I mean, as David says, if that like, they if they don't meet UEFA standards, then that's fair enough. You can't go through. But I'm looking at this from the cynical point of view, and as you've mentioned, we've covered this on how many podcasts in the last well, however long this podcast has been going, best part of two years, I'd say more so. We can you imagine? I'm going to be quite careful here. That say those both of the whoever wins the cup meets UEFA standards and everything's fine. Can you imagine something happening if you see what I mean? That means that a, the league club, the sixth place, would get in instead. I think if if um, whoever wins the cup has all their if they meet all their demands and the standards, then I definitely think they will go to the go to the Europa League. I mean then. There's nothing really you can do, even though, despite how much you want Ufa or Arsenal Tula to go to the Europa League and, and do better, then I mean, I, I, I think I can't see any reason why the cup winner wouldn't go to the Europa League if, if they meet all the demands. Uh, but of course, if they don't meet the demands, that's a completely different case. Um, I still think that we'll see either Tusno or uh, Amagad in, in the Europa League. I think over the next, whoever wins will manage to get things sorted. Um, maybe even with a bit of political help, who knows? It will, it will be. I mean, it'll be embarrassing for Russia to send a, a, a team that goes out immediately. As, a, but it will also be a, quite a negative story to send a, a or to have a cup winner who simply cannot go to the Europa League. So I'm sure there'll be some support from someone in power somewhere. I don't know. Would come maybe maybe someone further down the system, the local authorities, or something. Uh, so we can send the cup winner to the to the final or to the Europa League. Um, so for now, I'm I'm optimistic on behalf of the of the cup finalists. So we'll certainly see how that situation develops. Like David says, uh, victory day on Wednesday, the cup final. Um, David says that I think you mentioned the tickets for free, David. I'm pretty sure I read yesterday that, and you mentioned the packed house. I think they did a system of online. Um, sort of getting tickets online and I think they've all sold out I don't know about other sets of tickets but I imagine there's going to be a big crowd in Volgograd of course which was so important you talk about Victory Day big connection with Volgograd of course during the uh, the Great Patriotic War as they call it over there um, so let's move on to sort of any other business a couple of points uh, to point out here and one of them will be the, the stadium which um We'll come on to later, actually. But David, let's uh, let's talk with you and your uh, your Rubin connections that we mentioned at the start of the, so- of the show, and that's um, the retirement of uh, uh, Kara Deniz, um, the Turkish player for Rubin. Yeah. So um, yeah, so we got Deniz Kara Deniz. Um, I think it was on Thursday. Uh, they held a press conference in uh, Kazan, and uh, he announced that he would be 
uh, retiring at the end of the season, uh, age 37. Um, he's he's been at the club for 10 years. Uh, he's made 299 appearances. Um, his last home game on Monday against Ufa, if he plays, will be his 300th, uh, which would be a nice one to end on. Um, uh, and as I'm sure you're aware, obviously he's he's a legend of the club. Um, you know, he he joined the season before they won their first league title, and he was key role in that to title and then the following season's title, uh, which they also won. Uh, and then obviously he he scored the winning goal in arguably maybe even one of Russia's greatest ever games in European competition, where uh, Ruben Gazan won two one uh, at Barcelona. Uh, you know he he is the idol at that club. He is he is idolised by everyone who supports that team. Um, so yeah, he's going to be very greatly missed. Um, certainly go down as one of the most iconic players uh, uh, the last ten fifteen years in the Premier League. I'd imagine. Um, and yeah, he's he's uh, in the opposite retirement. Uh, talks that maybe he'll uh, go on to have a coaching role, but nothing concrete yet. But. Um, uh, for the last game on Monday, it's going to be a huge fanfare. Um, the tickets for that game uh, at the Kazan Arena, the last game before the World Cup are free. They want to fill out that stadium and then say farewell to their, uh, to their icon as best as they can, pretty much. So a nice story all round to, to end, this, end this career uh, in Kazan. We, of course, um, I think it was, was it early this week or late last week, we heard about... Um... Iniesta leaving Barcelona and David you put something out on the uh, Ruben Kazan UK account about a stat with Iniesta I don't suppose you remember it off the top of your head but I'd love the listeners to yeah. hear it so um, yeah oh, Iniesta's obviously uh, leaving Barcelona who had many years um, and the only club who Iniesta played more than once and never beat was Ruben Kazan who he played three times in Europe lost once and drew twice uh, never never got a victory against them that is that is Brilliant. But um, so let's move away from Rubin now and we'll talk about we mentioned uh, Volgograd Stadium earlier. And that is one of a well, that's one of a number of new stadiums for the World Cup, of course. And Toka, we've now seen the final uh, the world. <coughs> excuse me. The uh, the last stadium uh, has now opened in Samara and had its uh, had its test game. So that's all the, uh, the stadium now open for the World Cup as we build up for it. Just uh, how long is it away now? About five weeks, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was. It's been great to see. I mean, we have a lot of new starting stadiums uh, around Russia now, and then we just now we just need the World Cup to come around, and then of course we need the the the, the new home clubs of these of these beautiful stadiums to to bring in some excitement once the World Cup is over to to fill the stadiums to play some good football because they definitely have some some beautiful new homes now it, it'll be it'll be very interesting and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, yeah for example how local side Rosa Volgograd will will be doing at this new stadium because it certainly some uh, impressive surroundings for them yeah, I mean, David, I mentioned Samara there, but I think I saw on Twitter that Saransk um, got in twenty three thousand for their opener, which isn't bad for a third tier game. Yeah, I mean, all, all the stadiums so far have seen uh, great attendances. You know, only two of the new stadiums uh, are in the Premier League, which is Rostov's and I forget the other one, stupidly. Uh, but most of the t- stadiums that have opened are, you know, um, Feniel stadiums. You've got Baltica's stadium in Kaliningrad, uh, Nizhny Novgorod, uh, 
Saransky 30, Volgograd, uh, Samara, and, and they all packed out really well. Most of the stadiums looked pretty good. I think there was some teething problems with the pitch in Nizhny Novgorod. But it was great to watch, go back and watch the, the highlights of those games. And, you know, when a, when the first goal went in and it was scored by the home side, you know, huge cheers that you'd never see for a Peniel game before um, going off. And it was, it was it was good to see. And it does give you some hope for the future that maybe, I mean, obviously, maybe once the sort of shine's worn off, it's like, oh, let's just go because it's new. Um, yeah, yeah, the uh, tenses may drop, but it's, it was good to see... Um, such packed out stadiums um, for the opening and uh, hopefully we won't see any third tier teams uh, so Moldova looks certain to get promoted um, this season to the second tier which is good and uh, although you've got Rotor, Volgograd and Olympiads and Nizhny Novgorod close to relegation I think at this point they're both just above the zone um, so it'd be good if we can at least have all the teams within these new stadiums second tier and above which would, that, that would be ideal um, to try and keep the legacy going for a bit. Um, obviously, you know, Samara, Kredio, uh, to get promoted to the Premier League, which would be ideal to have another one of the big stadiums in the Premier League. Obviously, Samara has been a very well-supported club in the past, so um, that would be very nice uh, to see another one up there. Um, but even if they're stable in the second tier, then take that for now. And I think that pretty much brings the end to the podcast. I mean, nice positive message to go out on. We love the optimism on this podcast, which which rarely happens, actually. And Toka, you are largely to blame. But um, <laughs> but let's round it off there just to um, sort of inform the listeners of all the social media outputs. So let's uh, let's go through those once again. So, of course, we are at Russ Football News on Twitter, at Russ Football News on Instagram. So nice, two easy, uh, not acronyms, are they? But you know what I mean? Usernames to follow. Uh, the Russian Football News Facebook page, do just keep going on there. We've got the Predictions League on there, which uh, Andrew Flint, of course, sorts out. Um, you can submit your predictions on the Facebook page. And I think there's a cash prize going on. So uh, certainly make sure you get involved in that. Um, Toka, let's talk about the the newsletter, which we've highlighted before. But let's uh, let's bring that up again. Yeah, well, uh, we send out a newsletter giving you the most important news from Russian football, give you some updates on the Predictions League, some... Um, we have some of the good new articles coming out, so if you're not checking the website every day, you'll get some reminders in the newsletter. We'll also bring some relevant articles from the past. That could be historical articles. It could be articles about various figures in Russian football or simply articles that suddenly become relevant again after some news in the, in the Russian football world. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good way to... To, to stay updated and we also try to make them a bit entertaining so hopefully we'll bring a few laughs with them as well and just from the uh, editorial point of view Toka what, what should we be looking out for um, in the future and also what's been what's been published recently that we should be looking for well we have some some new stuff coming up we have some articles about the Senate actually uh, some of the stuff we talked about today of course now we'll be looking ahead to the World Cup about uh, both uh, especially on how Russia are preparing, which players will come to the squad, how Russia will do, stuff like that. Uh, but also in sort of a, a broader perspective on, on the Russian World Cup in general with the stadiums, the host cities and everything. So, yeah, a lot of stuff coming. Um, so definitely just check out the website, check our various social media and um, yeah, get updated on everything about Russian football. 
Uh, of course, the champion, the championship fight as well, and relegation games. I, I, I shouldn't forget that. Uh, we'll of course be covering that um, with people on the ground and everything. So, yeah, everything you need to know will be on the on the website. Perfect. And just from we've just spoken about it, David. So I'm going to ask you to go over it. We've uh, you published a piece. Um, when was that? It was May the first. That was a few days ago now, but it's still, still relevant, obviously. Um, we've got that you've had the um, the stadium piece there. So as we've just been talking about it, let's uh, just, just go through a bit of background about that piece. Yeah. So obviously we had um, seven stadiums open uh, in April um, for the first time. So it's just a piece sort of showing you what the stadium looks like, just detailing how the first couple of games have gone, uh, attendances, goal scorers, and what the sort of what the future of the stadium may hold. Um, uh, so yeah, just just a little piece on the on how the new stadiums have finally gotten on now that they're open, uh, ready for the World Cup. And actually, speaking of that, and I, the thing I like about that piece, David, particularly, is that it's it's nice and not not short, short, but it's it's sharp. So if you're thinking of heading out to the World Cup this summer, do check out that piece because it's not so you're not going to have to read essays about it that you're not you know with lots of extra details. But it's really good for sort of nice overview of seeing that. And also, Toka, we've um, I'm pretty sure pretty sure you didn't mention this, so I'm just going to remind you um, we've got the city guides for the World Cup, of course, for those looking to head out there. Yeah, of course, yeah. Guides for every city, what to do, where to go, uh, something about the history, about the local football, everything you need to know, basically, as a, a football fan going to, to the World Cup in Russia. So, perfect. So, anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast. Do check out the website. Do check out the social media that I mentioned. That's uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all, you know where to go. Uh, do keep checking out this podcast. Uh, subscribe to it if you can. And um, we will see you on the next podcast. Thank you very much indeed.